0: Welcome friends and fellow horse fiends, you've landed on Come Ride With Me, a podcast dedicated to helping you find harmony, joy, and success in your riding. I'm your host, Anna Fox of Equus Enlightened. This pod isn't about training your horse, but about training you to be the best partner for your horse. Listen to find out how I use my intention to direct my ride. You'll hear how I decide what to focus on, what to say yes to and when to redirect my horse. You'll see how not getting frustrated or overwhelmed is the easiest path to sanity and harmony. So what are you waiting for? Come ride with me. Hey y'all, I just wanted to apologize ahead of time for any voice changes you hear uh, in this episode because it is the height of allergy season, uh, fall allergy season here in Virginia, and I am struggling. So I didn't record this episode all in the same day, and uh, my voice is worse some days than others. Thanks for being here. Hey there, happy riders. Today's bonus episode of Come Ride With Me is all about riding the spooky horse. We're going to talk about why horses are spooky, why humans are spooky too, and how to deal with the problems at hand constructively instead of destructively. Why do horses spook? Nature. It's the same reason most horses are energy conservationists, or what some people might call lazy. Nature designed them that way. Horses are supposed to be out eating grass calmly, but be ready to move at the slightest sight, sound, smell, or feel of a threat. Horses are prey animals. Their eyes are set wide apart on their heads, which give them an almost 360-degree view, but not quite. Horses do have some blind spots, like directly in front of them, behind them, directly behind, which that one you might have been told about, and above and behind their eyes. This means a horse can't see you sitting on their back and why they will often turn around to look at you up there. The way a horse's eyes focus means that they need to move their head around to get different looks at things and why things look differently from different positions. Horses were designed to have the best vision when they're in the grazing position. It makes sense for safety, right? Most people don't ride their horses in that position though. So we're already restricting their vision with our request for head position while we're riding. Horses also see objects in motion much better than we do. So, something stationary can be more confusing to the horse than it is to us, and vice versa for something in motion, like a running animal. They may know what it is right away, whereas it scares us more than it scares them. So, if your horse is moving his head up and down, side to side, looking at something, he's trying to figure out what it is and what it will do. Riding your horse over flexed and behind the vertical further limits his vision because now what is above and behind the eyes is where you want to go. So that's tricky, and if you find that your horse is extra spooky when they're in the contact and that's how they go, that might be a big reason as to why. So while we're talking about vision, I think it's also important for riders to be aware of where they are looking. Horses are designed to be in herds with many sets of eyes, ears, nostrils, and hair follicles scanning the surrounding environment. They are not designed to be out in the open alone with a predator on their back, particularly a predator who was not paying attention to the surrounding environment. So as a rider, become conscious of where you are looking, why you are looking there, and actively use your peripheral vision. This may be something that you have to train yourself to do. A lot of people get focused looking down at the horse. This doesn't help the horse know where you want to go, but it also says to them that you aren't cognizant of what is happening around you. And they're probably wondering, why in the heck are you so focused on my neck? Like, what's going on there? Should I be worried? So this is a dangerous position for a horse to be in. They're not comfortable. Think like a herd mate and use your eyes like one. Even though your eyes are close together and facing forward, you can learn to scan your periphery, actively show your horse intention through where you're looking, and you'll be surprised at how much these small changes can lead to a big confidence boost in your horse. And now, let's talk about the nervous systems. The basic idea is that horses and humans have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic state. The parasympathetic state is the rest and digest, happy and content state. The sympathetic state is what most people know as fight or flight. But it goes much deeper than that. We don't get into a sympathetic state just when we get a massive fright or are being chased by an axe murderer. Many Americans are living their lives in a sympathetic state because stress does that to the body. Domestic horses are the same because of the stresses of being in unnatural environments. And what do you think happens when we throw those two things together? to unregulated nervous systems. We get spookiness, unsafe behavior, and a general lack of communication. These types of communication breakdowns aren't unique to the horse human world. They happen all the time in our human interactions, I think more so today, because people's nervous systems are out of control and they do things then that are out of control. Unfortunately, I'm acutely aware of this because of the years I've spent working at a 911 telecommunication center. And I've seen lots of people in a heightened state be very unpredictable. And I know from working with horses that the same can be true for them. So there are different stages of sympathetic nervous system arousal you can sort of be in a low level of arousal and, you know, maybe think of that as like a pot on simmer, right? And it's just kind of all lying there underneath the surface up to the big fight, flight, freeze type of reaction. And horses can have the same thing. So if you have... Let's say we rated those um, nervous system arousal on a scale of 0 to 5. 0 being in the parasympathetic state and 5 being fight, flight, freeze. If you had a bad day at work and you were frustrated or angry or a little bit sad and you just kind of appeared normal to people around you, but you're like simmering on low, right? You're like a, a a two. And your horse is going to feel that. Your horse is going to know that even if the people around you don't know it. But you also have to take into account what has happened in your horse's day. And it may seem to you like a regular normal horsey day, but if the horse has some stress about his environment because it's not as natural as it could be, then they may also be simmering around a stage two. Yeah? So if we put the two and the two together, now we've got a four, and that's really close to a five. So this is how people go from, I think I'm good to, oh, crap, something bad just happened, right? Because we're super duper close to the five without even noticing. The best thing to do is to find ways to mitigate your horse's tensions as much as you can, keeping them in as natural of a state as you can. But there are some things that we just can't control. So, if you know that your horse might be dealing with some of those things, take extra care to deal with yourself and find ways to deal with your negative emotions and your nervous system regulation away from your horse. Like find some tools to help you. There are so many things available out there today. Then you can help your horse as well. The other thing that you can do is just when you know that you're in that state, sit with your horse, you know, tell your horse about the problems, get it all out, sit there and regulate together. And if it takes an hour, it takes an hour. And if you don't have time to ride that day because it took an hour, that's okay. Don't get yourself in a heightened state again over the fact that you didn't have time to ride because your horse will appreciate what you did by not riding them, they'll feel better the next time. This brings me to talking about the, the shoulds and fear factor. A lot of us think that there are things that we should be doing or that our horse should be doing. And my question is always, why? Like, the horse should just go on and do it. Why? Because somebody told us that when we were learning to ride, because that's what people have said forever and ever, and that's just what we grew up believing. The horse has a mind of its own. So the horse doesn't understand all of those complicated emotions. He is more reacting to what your emotion is. So if you think that the horse should be doing something and then you get angry, the horse is just confused as to why you're angry. Or if you think the horse should be doing something but they're not doing it and that's causing you a little bit of fear because you don't know what's gonna happen Then the horse feels your fear, and now they're like, well, what do we need to be afraid of? So being able to regulate yourself and be very present when you're working with your horses is very important. And instead of thinking about my horse should, ask these three things of both of you. Is it fair, reasonable, and possible? Right now, is it fair to ask my horse to do this thing? Is it reasonable to ask them to walk by this thing? Is it possible for my horse to walk by these things? And if all of those things are a yes, okay, now we can maybe work towards building the horse's confidence to do those things. But stop and ask yourself Is it fair to push myself right now? Is it reason, is it a reasonable expectation of myself to work through this with my horse? Is it possible? for me to work through this with my horse. And if the answer to any of those is no, or I don't know, or maybe not, then take a step back, figure out where you're uncertain, and go on from there. Find a place where the things are fair, reasonable, and possible for both of you, and go from there. That's a much better place to start than having one or the other of you off-kilter. One of the other concepts that I talked about that relates back to fear factor and the shoulds is leading and following. And why this connects is because since we're often in that mode of we should, 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 we're constantly thinking that we should be leading and sometimes following gives you more information and sometimes following builds connection with your horse so one way to kind of test that is if you come across something scary if they walk up to it or they begin to approach it and then they turn away, right? Just go with them, go with them initially because we all have this underlying feeling of we should because somebody told us once that we have to get the horse to do what we want otherwise the horse is gonna know what they can get away with. And that's not exactly how horses process things but we can teach them things that we don't want to teach them accidentally. So, but by being a follower and saying, oh yeah, let's go over here instead, that actually takes that should and the, the feeling of I taught them something wrong away. It's like, oh, Okay, I'm gonna go see where you want to go, and then, like in the last pod in the video, I I allowed the horse to do that at one point, and then I worked my way back over to where I wanted to be, and kind of in that way, use an an approach and retreat sort of thing. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna approach it, and then oh, if you want to go away, that's okay. The approach and retreat, lead follow game is very can be very helpful in cases where you have horses that uh, are a little not confident about something or they don't want to go forward and you have this really big should on your shoulder right we don't have to do anything ask yourself why you have that should like why is is it necessary? what happens if you don't walk, trot, canner around the entire arena today. Nothing, your horse isn't gonna forget. So taking the should out of it, uh, I think is very important and is very helpful for people as they're trying to build confidence, build confidence in their horse and improve their communication style with their horses. Two of the communication styles uh, that I mentioned or communication games that I mentioned in the pod last week were the phases of the AIDS and the numbers game. And I can do separate videos on those if you all would like. Please let me know if there's anything during any of these pods that you think of, oh, I'd like more information on that. Leave me a comment or send me an email. All the links are in the show notes. Uh, DM me on social media, whatever. And let me know what you might want to learn more about. But basically, the phases of the AIDS is just you being really clear on how you're going to ask for something and that you're very clear about it, you're diligent about being consistent and that your horse learns this and they gain confidence from knowing. And there's no really right or wrong. There's no set. These have to be how you ask a horse to say go forward. It's, it's not like that, it's more about you figuring out what works for you and your horse and then being really consistent and clear. Because remember, being clear with a horse is being kind. When you're muddled up and you're not sure and you're trying six or seven different things at the same time, or you're kinda of sorta of doing it but you're really not sure what's gonna happen, that is not clear and then the horse gets confused. And then we start down the sympathetic nervous system activation rabbit hole that we don't want to go to. The numbers game is more about maintaining something. And I don't usually work these things together, at least not in the beginning. You know, if I have a horse that's, say, a little sticky about going forward, I would get my phases down, I would they would know what my cues are and how they escalate, and I would get that really good. I would get them really prompt off of my cues, and then I would go on to the numbers game if I needed it. Um, this is also something that I learned from Karen Rolfe, and it's very helpful for horses learning to maintain. So what you would do is you got going and then judge where you're, you are at at that moment, right? Like, oh, this is a, say on a scale of one out of 10, this trot's a five, I'd really like to have a seven. What you then wanna do is say, okay, well, I'm gonna push this horse, I'm gonna use my phases of my aids and I'm going to get my horse at least to an eight maybe a nine on the scale of trot so maybe even you know it's going to be maybe a hair faster than you wanted to go so are you going to be comfortable with that if not maybe you just want to go for a six trot today as a maintain and then you don't have to go quite as fast and then Once you're good at maintaining a six, you can go for seven, right? Again, you don't have to have the seven or eight trot right off the bat. You can work your way up to that. So you would then push your horse a little bit past the point where you want to go. And then as soon as they get there, you allow them to settle. And they can settle back into your seven, if that's what you're going for trot but if they drop down further than that if they get into six or they go back to the five you have to right away increase your energy again back up past your seven and then come back down you can allow them to come back down again the trick about doing this and even the phases of the aids is that when you're teaching your horse these things you don't want to be doing them for a long period of time. Like you don't want to work on a transition and your phases of the aids up into the trot and they do a really good job and then you trot around for 20 minutes and never acknowledge how nice the transition was you just taught the horse that if if they do this thing that they're going to have to trot around for 20 minutes and probably be bored to death. So they're going to be less likely to do it in the future. Whereas if you get some really nice transitions and let them rest or, you know, be done for the day or whatever, the horse is going to be like, oh, ding, 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 if I do this this way, you know, it's break time or cookie time. Same thing with the numbers game. If you get your horse up to that seven or eight trot and you make them keep trotting at it for the next 20 minutes, especially if they're not a forward-thinking horse, they're gonna resent that and then they're not gonna wanna do it next time. So you're gonna maintain it for a really short bursts in the beginning, big rewards when they get up there and then as they develop the confidence, the strength, the idea that they can do this, you can maintain it for longer and longer. I think it's very easy to make a spooky horse by being reactive to the spooking. If you can maintain your cool and kind of make it a game with the horse, you know, how close can we get? What speed can we go by? Instead of being a punisher when the spook happens and feeling like the horse should be doing something, should be going by that or should be doing this, it's very easy to train a horse that they do need to have some reaction to these things by being reactive yourself. And when you're not reactive and they realize that, oh, these things are okay or you are there to be a partner, you're trustworthy, you're not going to let the wolves get them, whatever, the horse can relax. The horse can come down out of a heightened state, can start to listen better, can also start to communicate better, and then everything just gets better. So, take away the shoulds, regulate yourself, and just enjoy the process. The same theory applies if you have a horse that's maybe randomly spooky. Yeah, where you don't feel like they're necessarily afraid of a certain thing or things, but just when you think everything is going well, they jump out from under you or snort at something or do something like that because horses are like people in the sense that they have different personalities their nervous systems regulate differently so where you may have a horse that's kind of on edge all the time and worried about everything all the time just like you have humans like that or humans that are really high energy all of the time then you might have one that appears to be very laid back but you know something frightens them or something makes this person angry and they kind of explode. It's the same thing with a horse. So maybe this unease is building and the nervous system is getting more and more ramped up as you're going and that's what causes the spooks. The other thing to think about is what are you thinking of when those spooky moments happen? Because I can tell you some of the worst accidents I've had with horses were primarily with young horses when I wasn't paying attention. Like I had kind of checked out and was like, Oh, this is going great. And my brain went to something else. And then they spooked and I was caught off guard. So what is happening in your mind when those spooks happen? And can you start to sort of just notice, don't judge it, just notice what is happening and what your thoughts are before the spook happens if you can remember and then also what you're feeling about it after and what's your immediate reaction to it. Because again, if you can regulate, you can stay calm, you can help the horse through the problem. And we all do this for fun, right? So we should enjoy the process and have fun with your horse. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Come Ride With Me. My goal is to demonstrate to riders that we don't have to do something every second of a ride. We don't have to do things a certain way or at a certain time. Just staying present with your horse and gathering non-judgmental information about how they are going is way more beneficial than overthinking and overworking. If you'd like to learn more about what I do at Equus Enlightened, you can find me at equisenlightened.net or on patreon.com slash equisenlightened. You can also find me on social media as equisenlightened. I will put all the links in the show notes. And until next time, happy writing. Oh, before you go, please remember to rate, review, and share this pod so others can find it. I would love constructive criticism. But like my mom used to say, if you don't have anything really nice to say, there's no need to say it. Just ride on, my friends. Have a great week.